0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the SkyTap Podcast. My name is Noel Wurst. I'm SkyTap's Corporate Communications Manager, and it's good to be back. For those of you who are new to the show, the SkyTap Podcast is a vendor-neutral, completely sales pitch-free show where we sit down with thought leaders in the software development, testing, IT, cloud, and technical training communities to discuss current trends in various industries. If there's ever anyone you'd like for us to try and have on the show, let us know. You can send us a message on Twitter, at SkyTap, or to me directly, at Noel That's N-O-E-L-W-U-R-S-T. Lastly, if you'd like to keep up to date with the newest episodes as they're released, you can subscribe to the SkyTap podcast on iTunes. We'd love to have you subscribe and even leave us a rating if you'd like. Let's get on with this week's episode. This week, our own Dan Jones, SkyTap's Director of Product Management and crowd favorite here on the podcast, join me for a discussion with JP Morgenthau. DevOps.com describes JP as an internationally renowned thought leader in the areas of IT transformation, modernization, and cloud computing. And he's also a prolific writer on his Tech Evangelist blog, which you can find at jp.morgenthal.com. I reached out to JP after reading one of his excellent blogs on that site and asked if if he would join Dan and I in a discussion around the impact of IT's complexity on decisions around cloud versus on-premises strategies. I've talked enough. Let's get to this week's episode. And as always, we thank you for joining us. So on the Tech Evangelist blog, I was uh, on there about a month or so ago, and I noticed a piece that you had on there recently, JP, and it was called A Reality Check on Everyone's Moving Everything to the Cloud. And I, I really liked the piece a lot and shared it with some other people here at SkyTap, and we'll be sure and have a link to it for those listening to the podcast now where you can access it there from our blog. But for, for those listening today, what, what the, the piece was, was a, a recap of a discussion that JP had with a number of what, what you describe as well-respected thought leaders in cloud with significant experience guiding senior IT executives' transition to modern architectures. Um, we talk a lot at SkyTap about modernizing architectures and infrastructure and applications as a whole. And the, this discussion that you had was focused on the future of self-managed infrastructure. So... What I wanted to do today is not further recap your recap, but to, to focus on a couple of the points that were made in the piece that I thought kind of deserved a deeper dive.
1: And Yeah, and I, absolutely. There, there's a lot in there that deserves a, a deeper dive. In fact, Mark, Tilly, Mark Tilly was he said, you should take each one of those things and write a whole blog on each one. Well, I was just going to say the same thing, <laughs>
0: that, that, that every point that was brought up, you know, that could easily be done. That could easily be done. So that, that, that's one of those uh, pieces that continue to give for a while. So, JP, you mentioned that your initial ask of the guests you had in this conversation was to get pros and cons from them for businesses to either continue investing in their own managed infrastructure, um, as well as some for the opposite end of the spectrum, doing things like moving their entire business to the cloud. So, my my first question to the both of you would be, uh, you know, I love the simplicity around the point that someone made of, you know, look, IT is complex, you know, and that, moving everything to the cloud is not only extremely difficult, it's sometimes uh, impossible or, at, at best, unnecessary. So I'd love to kind of get both of your input as to how that complexity can impact business decisions and, and some steps you can do to kind of overcome something that large.
1: Sure, I'll start. I, You know, cloud is such a game changer, and uh, I believe that there's a, a significant body of, uh, business individuals who have, you know, gotten in their education on cloud <clears throat> through the business publications, mm-hmm. and, and and through their own peer networks, and I, you know, and it's definitely triggered off boardroom level conversations, uh, and there's been an expectation among many executive C level, uh, you know, m- groups, and and even you know between the C-lo- the CEO and the board. What is your cloud strategy? As if, if you don't have one, then, you know, you're not doing what you need to do. And I think a lot of that, you know, was a belief that, you know, cloud was a less expensive way of, of running your, your business. And, um, in fact, I just, I, I blogged a different blog uh, around operational costs, cloud, cloud computing, uh, adopting a cloud computing op- model and, and the, you know, things that are associated with that. And so uh you know one of the things that becomes of that is uh I gave the example of uh ComEd in where I'm in Chicago and ComEd sends me these uh emails every week uh or not every month uh comparing me to my neighbors electric uh, electric use. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm always higher but you know the one of the things I noticed was that you know in my area there's a Broad spectrum of housing. There's everything from a two-bedroom ranch up to what I had was, which the largest model, four-bedroom. Okay, uh, and so what I called it the anonymous neighbor problem, and the fact that I'm being compared to my anonymous neighbors. Now we do this in IT all the time. We have groups like ISG and the such who go out and, you know, do analyses of different businesses and then put reports together and send them to the, you know, CEOs. And in these reports, it says, well, you're in the insurance business and you do life insurance and and, uh, car insurance and um, your business does this much money a year. So based on that and your peers, you should be spending X amount on IT. Mm. All right. And, and And so this is where it moves from that's a great scientific answer, right? If they can do it for this, you can do it for this. Mm -hmm. But the art side of this, right, the the creative side of this says, uh, well, no, you, you know, there's a lot of pieces that go into computation of what is the right price to pay for IT. For example, I'm, you know, I've been in business this long. I've started doing IT 30 years ago. We went down this particular route. We've made these recommendations for you know new capex spending that was re- re- you know rejected by the board five years ago. You know all these different things come into play that would end up limiting you from being able to meet that average IT spend. And then, as I say in in my own blog, if I were to try to meet what my the, the neighborhood average, I'd live like an Amish person. <laughs> <laughs> dan yes so practice. i think Okay, right. yeah. go ahead no i was gonna say and that that to me is a in a nutshell is how it is complex right mm-hmm. there is you can't apply this general general anonymous neighbor problem to your own universe hmm
2: yeah you bring up the you know the board of directors asking what's your cloud strategy and I think that almost what I've seen is it invokes a bit of bravado on the part of IT leadership which it either the the bravado swings one way which is everything to the cloud or it swings the other way like nothing to the cloud we can do it all ourselves we don't we don't need to rely on AWS or Azure or whoever Um instead of stepping back and, and looking at a balanced approach to it. it it's sort of like uh, saying my financial strategy is I'm gonna put all my money in mutual funds. Well, which ones and are they meeting your goals? So really the question shouldn't be, what is your cloud strategy? But is you know, what are the, what are the goals for IT to satisfy the business requirements? And then what are the right tools or vehicles to, to satisfy those goals? and take much more of a balanced approach to, to the whole problem.
1: It, it, you, raise, you raise a really interesting point, uh, And I haven't seen it discussed oddly in, in that way, in that, uh, you know, it, with regard to cloud, but building a, a diversified portfolio. Why, why wouldn't we consider this area of IT requiring, requiring a diversified portfolio? Why, would, why is extremism the only approach that's acceptable?
2: That's a great question. Maybe you should pose that to your, uh, your gang and see what they come <laughs> back with. <laughs> I, I will.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, was, that kind of leads into the next point that I had is that, that one of your guests, JP, in that conversation brought up the following scenario. It says, you know, they said, do we have, that this would be someone asking this question. You know, um said, do we have the internal resources to accomplish the move while not significantly disrupting ongoing operations and development? Can we justify having all of our eggs in one basket? And if we don't put all of our eggs in an AWS or Azure basket, how do we safely, securely, and efficiently efficiently manage a multi-cloud portfolio? I was I was I was hoping to kind of get some some uh, insight from y'all on what are some of those things that you that you do need to have as far as trying to uh, manage a multi-cloud portfolio? How do you uh, kind of assess what you currently have and what you need, and how do you kind of juggle that uh, that disruption that's good and the disruption of you know, ongoing systems and systems that are relied on heavily that you don't want disrupted. It it really does seem like it requires a lot to manage
1: that. Oh, it's huge. I mean, and and there's so many different angles to to approach that from. Um, uh, for example, uh, if I'm if I go to a public cloud like Amazon or Azure, uh, I have a new way of dealing with operation that I need to take into account. I have, Amazon will tell you, they'll be the first to tell you, if you really want to benefit from a move to Amazon, you want to leverage our services. Mm -hmm. If you're not leveraging our services and you're just consuming virtual machines, you're never going to get the benefits that you're expecting out of this thing, right? So if I'm going to move to leveraging their services, well, I don't have those same capabilities, those same services, and certainly not the same management interfaces in my own organization. So now I have a choice. Do I implement and leverage my own homo- homogeneous layer for management that I create maybe from a you know a company like a BMC or an HP or an IBM or somebody like that, you know, made of tools that I can buy and I can use them everywhere, which is still hard to do, but at least it gives me a common footprint, or do I start to try to figure out how do I build a s- single pane of glass depending that that integrates in with each of the different platforms in their own native way. So even so right from the get-go, you have this, you know, uh, this complex answer that you need to come, you know, respond to, which is how am I going to run this stuff? And 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 then I get into skills, right? At least if I spend the money, invest, create this homogenous layer, I can use one set of people, train them once. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I have to have Amazon people and Azure people and Remedy people and ServiceNow people and oh you know and it gets, you know, it can really become quite expensive to have all this specialization. So specialization is difficult and expensive. Generalization is, le- you know, probably less expensive, but equally complex to build out in the initial form.
2: Yeah, I, I think availability of a skilled workforce, and there was, there was a term used in uh, in there called skills gravity, and and I really like that one. I mean, it's, It's not just having the skill set to be able to run on-premise, and it's like, well, okay, nobody wants to run on-premise anymore, so we can't attract the right talent. So they think, okay, well, we'll go to the cloud. Well, guess what? Probably a a very large percentage of your your existing workforce have no clue how to run uh, services, applications up in AWS or Google and get them configured correctly from a networking perspective, from a security perspective, from an availability and a DR perspective. Um, That's all really hard stuff and the way you do it on, on one Cloud vendor is completely different than the way you do it on the other Cloud vendor. So that skills gap, you can't use it just as an excuse to get out of your own data center. You have to be honest with yourself and say, "Do I have the right skills to move up to a cloud?" And if I don't, how how am I going to attract that talent to my organization and retain them?
1: It is really difficult too to you know to start with even identify and find the resources, and then uh, you know and to do and then to bring them on in a competitive way. I believe that that. Group, the, group that group of individuals has a lot of choice in where they want to work today. Uh, and so, you know, organizations that really haven't uh, prepared uh, appropriately for that workforce and is still you know, looking to hire in the old-fashioned way and they force them through, you know, five levels of interviews, you know, people, they're like, you know what, screw this. I can go to Joe <laughs> Schmoe and do one interview and, you know, get a job. And not only that, I make the make probably more money. So, you know, it's it's the game is changing with this skills gap as well. There aren't, you know, you're, you're dealing with a, a supply-demand issue. And you're trying to, you know, for many businesses, they're trying to address it with aged and inappropriate hiring methods. Yeah, and trust me,
2: I I lived through that uh, prior to coming to SkyTap. And it was, hey, we'll put a ping pong table out there or a foosball table out there and we'll be able to track talent because we saw that startups are doing that or other successful IT shops are doing that. So if we do the same thing, we'll get the same quality of people. And the reality is it's it's a lot more nuanced than that.
1: Have you seen that there's backlash now about against that model and people telling uh, Google and Amazon all these other companies you got it wrong nobody wants the open workspace <laughs> <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, awesome. it's not flying after all these years it's you know <laughs> we, we need our me space we need to you know be able to shut things off and you know, so
2: yeah well my favorite example of that is you walk into an open um Office space setup, and everybody has their headphones on and is focused on their monitor. And you know, two people might start talking, and everybody turns to them and goes, "Shh!"
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> okay, we're not in a library, folks. We're supposed to be collaborating.
1: <laughs> I was just in Copenhagen. And I'll tell you a quick funny story because hey, hey, these things should be entertaining and not bore the people to death either with the yeah, stuff. Exactly. So I'm in Copenhagen. It's warm. They don't have air conditioning in the building. Uh, this is not unusual uh but the only with with it were like eight people in a small conference room and the only way to get the air flowing was to open the door and open the window you do that there was a nice breeze outside you're fine but somebody kept coming and closing our door because they were sitting outside in an open workspace area and they're getting pissed because we're the volume from our room is coming out so they kept asking us to close the door and we're dying and then i'm like screw this this guy's just gonna have to live with it because it is hell hot in here and it's 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 that age-old battle you know it's like you know am i gonna are we gonna suffer in here so that that person can have quiet out there or can that person go find somewhere else to work you know but it's that's the those are the types of things that occur in real world you know when you go to these open models so
2: yeah
1: you know i wanted to touch on on one other thing you said jp about uh
2: really benefiting from moving to the cloud it's it's not running straight vms up on a provider but it's it's adopting their services is where you're really going to see the benefit and i think that is absolutely 100 by design Um, all the vendors want want to increase switching costs so they, they want their services to be sticky so if it's cheaper to buying to rds services versus running SQL on bare metal up in or on a a vm up in aws you know that's what they want because those switching costs to go from rds to something else is going to be high and it's just going to prevent prevent customers from doing that switch and so it it creates a bit of a lock-in effect and i mean that's sort of it's good business right the the buyer needs to understand that when they're when they're making that decision, and that I, I don't be, think that.
1: Go ahead. That can be mediated to some degree. I, I think it's I think it's more of a a volume a cost issue. So Amazon wants you to use their leveraged services because the more people that use them, the less expensive they can make them, right? So it helps them to compete. If you have five people on a service, it costs you X. If you have ten. Then you have, you know, a, a percentage. It's going to cost you a percentage less to run. The more people using a leveraged service, the less expensive it comes becomes to offer. So, for, from an Amazon or a cloud service provider perspective, you, getting more people on their services allows them to be even more competitive, price competitive. I think that's a bigger issue for them being a subscription-based service than um, than being sticky at this point. Because, you know, the, that's where they're, mar- they're, make, they're making penny, you know, subpennies pennies on a margin anyway. Um, so it, it's a volume game. And then for the customer, you know, it, using anything, to, anytime you're using a leveraged service, right, you're, you should gain better economic advantage from using that leveraged service. So it, it, it's good on both ends. The problem is, as you said, you know, uh, how do I, you know, the, the, it doesn't come for free. I have to uh, actively transform in order to be able to use those services, and that's an investment. And so then the question becomes, is this an investment I can take now? Is it what I'm ready for? Do I have the skills? So all those questions start to come into play once you you decide that the leverage services are the right approach.
2: Right. And then what is what is gonna be your architectural pattern for adopting those services? Are you going to tightly bind to them? Are you gonna loosely bind through some sort of shim that gives you choice down the road, but that comes with cost. And there's a, there's a lot of complexity here. And you know, as I go around and talk to various IT shops and you know, different levels in the organization, I don't know that that, that level of complexity is, is deeply understood or, or internalized by the organization. Um, As they make the stance, you know, we're moving everything to AWS. We're going to rewrite everything, and it's all going to run up in the cloud. And next year we'll be in a better position. It's back to that bravado statement.
0: Yeah, I was going to add, too. I know a lot of the times, are a lot of times, one of the things we talk about at SkyTap is, is moving those things to the cloud first that are going to give you that kind of quick initial uh, return on that investment, things that aren't going to take so long to realize that, they, that you may never actually get there. And that, you know, that, that uh, it's kind of like you were saying early on, JP, as far as people saying, well, this guy moved everything over and he does what I do or something similar to what I do. I've got to do the same thing that uh, that a lot of times you can kind of move just the things over that make sense to kind of remove bottlenecks that can be quickly eliminated and not things that are, that are going to take, you know, an entire year to, to uh, become real for you.
1: Good. Good stuff.
0: So, uh, lastly, one one last thing I wanted to touch on was that um, in your in your piece here on the uh, um, on your blog, it was uh, that there was a list of reasons that people gave when they, I guess, when they they look at this complexity and they see the difficulty, yeah. and it's going to require a list of reasons to stay put, a list of reasons to continue uh, 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 to continue investing in their own infrastructure. And I just kind of, I think you've each got the list there in front of you. I was curious if any of those stand out as this has been a problem forever, this is the one I see the most often, and kind of what may be an argument for that, or maybe even an argument against that is.
1: Um, yeah, so interestingly enough, I think, you know, one of the first ones that actually rises quite quickly is vendor licensing, mm-hmm. because you plan some, i, I, I give an example, uh, I know somebody who was developing a, a great solution uh for migrating a customer to a new uh, amazon infrastructure uh you know from an existing managed infrastructure uh, you know on bare metal uh but they but the whole idea was uh the belief that they were going to just take the windows 2003 servers and, and move them over uh and they get to the other you know to the end of the proposal and they and all of a sudden somehow it got introduced. Uh, that my, you know, Microsoft won't uh, support the Windows 2003 on a new hardware. It's end of life, uh, and then the and that the you know the they need to mig- move to the, to a or upgrade to a later operating system, server operating system. So um, so then the issue becomes well that throws the whole thing out of the water. The whole idea was to pick it lift and shift, and if I can't do that to get started with you know because of, of vendor licensing. Then that's a huge problem.
2: Yeah, totally agree. there There's uh, a very lack of friendliness just sort of across the uh, isV space, the package software space of getting things out of a data center and you know running elsewhere. And you know licenses, EULAs are written for lawyers. They're not written for you know i t developers or application developers and there's a lot of nuance there the two that i personally lived through data gravity i was glad to see that and i would actually put it as you know right where it is number one on the list um when i worked at a large retailer we had tens hundreds of terabytes of data on premises and the majority of data was being born on premises so systems (coughs) running on premises so like you can't necessarily pick that whole thing up and move it with zero downtime up to the cloud. So um, that was a real challenge of how do we make that transition and what systems go and that led really to uh, another one on the list, which was significant integration requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was I was in an area around data warehousing, master data management, BI analytics. Well, talk about data integration and if you have systems running and and you know, some on-prem, some up in the cloud, et cetera. How do you handle the latency and um, and just the security and networking requirements when you're dealing with large volumes of data? So th- those hit me near and dear to my heart of things that I lived through. Well, that is everything
0: that I had for today. Like I said, this could easily have been three or four hours long if we had hit every single one of these. And like you mentioned earlier, JP, that this entire piece has got about 50 different potential blogs uh, in here. So as long as um, people keep having uh, 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 issues around this complexity and and then other people like yourself and and SkyTap continue to to write about them and help people kind of overcome them, I think these will be conversations that are going to be around for a while. So thank you both for... uh, participating today
1: oh my pleasure yeah i i would I, I was surprised there was a lot of readership on this but mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of forward conversation after the fact um which is really interesting i would have imagined that more uh, practitioners would have stepped up and and asked more questions yeah. right and it, and it's interesting it would be interesting to know what conversations this has spawned but it would be also more interesting to have been asked you know, you know, what's behind this? What's behind that? Because like we said, there there isn't a blog entry for each of these. Mm-hmm. And so that was a bit surprising that, the, you know, it, 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 it was published in a number of different areas and, and even talked about in another podcast. And there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, follow-on conversation asking questions. So mm-hmm. that leads me to the then question, really, you know, where are people in this conversation in their own organizations?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that that kind of reminds me, of, that's like when you go to a conference and you, you, you take in all of this incredible amount of information and you, you learn a lot of new ways to go about doing things and things that you heard others doing that you think will work really well in your organization and you go back and those notes just get filed away and you keep doing the same <laughs> old thing. You don't put any of that stuff into play. So right. hopefully that will change. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. We want to thank JP for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As a reminder, you can check out more of JP's work at jpmorgenthal.com. Highly recommend you checking out his site. There really is some great written stuff that he's he's put up there. One quick heads up before we leave. I'll be attending the DevLearn Technical Training Conference coming up in November in Las Vegas, and am honored to have gotten the chance to schedule a ton of interviews with numerous speakers who will be at that show. Those interviews will all be turned into future episodes of this podcast, so don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes to get access to those as they're released. Thank you all so much again to all of the listeners out there. We'll be back soon with another episode of the SkyTap Podcast.